For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talk Recorded live. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Inspirational Soul Expressions. I am your host, Mahogany Brown, and I am also joined by my co-host, Mr. Soul Williams. We have been missing in action for some time, getting some things together, but definitely a wonderful occasion to start off the 2017 POET, People of Extraordinary Talent, starting off with inspirational soul expressions today. Today is a day that we're going to take a moment and we're going to celebrate a great king, being Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as we celebrate his birthday today. There would be no other way than to start this show and kick it off in the right direction by his most prized, by his most dissected, by his most timeless venture. I am happy to join with you today and what will go in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who have been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still was not free. 100 years later, the life of a Negro was still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro still lived in a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro was still languished in the corners of American society and found himself in exile in his own land. And so we come here today to dramatize a shameful, shameful condition. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of highways and motels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No. No, we're not satisfied. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say it to you today. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. still had a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, Sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and notification. One day right here in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. 
I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. And this is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. And this will be the day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the farthest hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening out of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from the stone mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from lookout mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Those were excerpts from the wonderful, amazing speech of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. It is so many days that our children go to school and they study the mere facts. Jesse, I have a dream speech, but not truly dissecting who this king was, what all he brought to our country, what all we should be thankful to him for. I'm going to give you a little history lesson before we get started in tonight. See, Martin Luther King Jr. was born on January the 15th, 1929, about four hours away from me in Atlanta, Georgia. Hence the reason why today is so monumental that we celebrate him, his dream, the dream that we must continue to live on, and the dreams in each and every last one of us. See, King was a Baptist minister and a civil rights activist. He had an amazing impact on race relations in the United States, beginning all the way back to the mid-1950s. Among many of his efforts, King headed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Through his activism and inspirational speeches, he played a pivotal role in ending the legal segregation of African-American citizens in the United States, as well as the creation of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. King received the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, among several other honors. He was assassinated April 1968, and yet and still he continues to be remembered as one of the most influential and inspirational African-American leaders in history. Now, I always get a little tickled as I look back and I began to study on Dr. Martin Luther King and just really reviewing things that he's been so beneficial into the American stages. He actually was not born as Martin. He was born as Michael King, Jr., he was the middle child of Michael King Sr. and Alberta Williams King. The King and Williams families were rooted in rural Georgia. Martin Jr.'s grandfather, Eddie Williams, was a rural minister for years and then moved to Atlanta in 1893. He took over at that time the small, struggling Ebenezer Baptist Church with around 13 members and made it into a forceful congregation. He married Jenny Celeste Parks, and they had one child that survived. Alberta. Michael King Sr. came from a sharecropper family in a poor farming community. He married Alberta in 1926 after an eight-year courtship. The newlyweds moved A.D. Williams' home in Atlanta. 
Now, just hearing the brief introduction, the history of Dr. Martin Luther King, for years in his family, it was a testament of faith. For years, it was a dream to be lived out. It was embedded within their blood. See, Michael King Sr. stepped in as a pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church upon the death of his father-in-law in 1931. He also became a successful minister and adopted the name Martin Luther King Sr. in honor of the German Protestant religious leader, Martin Luther. In due time, Michael Jr., being Martin Luther King, would follow his father's lead and adopt the name himself. See, when we start speaking about family ties and wanting to be able to carry on the name and the legacy, this is what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did. No, as we speak today of race relations, I believe that we have foreseen a lot of the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King. I know that there was a point in time where society and the world would never, ever imagine a black president. As we get ready to say farewell, wonderful, faithful servant, President Obama, many people didn't live to see that day. I'm very proud, very humbled, and very thankful that I had the opportunity to see Barack Obama as president, not only for myself, but also for my children. They were able to see a black man in presidency and reign. I believe Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would be smiling at the wonderful works that were done by Barack Obama. We are going into a whole nother era at this time with the new president, president-elect Donald Trump. A lot of individuals are alarmed, concerned, also in bafflement and amazement at how he became president with the obvious visions of hate that he has presented not only in his speeches, but also in his writing and his rhetoric as well. So, Williams, are you on the line there with me? Yes, I'm here, my queen. All right, there. So, no, one thing I did want to give you the opportunity to do before we get really deep diving into the show, as a black man that has lived across the country, across the state, when you begin to think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and everything that he stood for as you heard excerpts from the speech, I Have a Dream, how is it that you tie in that dream to your reality now in order to ensure that you are pressing for not only his dream, but your dream as well? Uh, um, man, uh... I've always been a a fan and a supporter and a lover of my um, Martin Luther King. So the he he always you know I never you know got a chance to see him actually you know speak, but watching like TV and his videos and stuff like that, and it touched me because I never I I can't say I always been a great person. But I'm I'm glad that I never, you know, had hatred in my heart for, you know, anybody, actually, you know, um, you know, either the, a different color, you know, I mean, for me, watching how times was to seem like the times is coming right back. So it's kind of hard to explain, you know, my take on what's actually happening from now to back then, because it seems like is all playing over again. History indeed is repeating itself. And I believe it's very important for us to continue to dissect the history of Dr. Martin Luther King so we can better understand not only his story but his life and legacy. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a lot of great attributes under his belt. For those that didn't know, you know, a lot of children in school, they want to skip school. They want to skip grades. They want to get promoted. Well, guess what? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he did that. He skipped both the ninth and 11th grade, and he actually entered Morehouse College at the age of 15 in 1944. He was a popular student, especially with the female classmates, 
But at that time, an unmotivated student who floated through the first two years. Now, his family was deeply involved in church and worship. Young Martin began to question religion in general and felt uncomfortable, actually, with overly emotional displays of religious worship. This discomfort continued through much of his adolescence, initially leading him to decide against entering the ministry such to his father's dismay. But in his junior year, Martin took a Bible class, renewed his faith, and began to envision a career in the ministry. In the fall of his senior year, he told his father of his decision. Now, this particular area, and I'm breaking out different bits and pieces of his life because I believe it can be applicable to anyone. And what stood out for this for me is a lot of times when you are born into a religious family where you have a pastor, you know, you feel like you have to be a pastor. Well, Martin didn't feel that way. You know, a lot of people feel like if they don't have it from jump, they can't get it. Martin started school and college not really putting his best foot forward, but that's not how his story ended. Dr. Martin Luther King also questioned religion, but that's not how the story ended. So no matter where you are in your life, there's always the opportunity to rewrite your story. And I believe that's powerful and can carry not only young but older life. See, Martin had an educational and spiritual growth that we have to begin to understand. Because during his last year in seminary, Martin Luther King Jr. actually came under the guidance of Morehouse College President Benjamin E. Mays, who influenced King's spiritual development. Mays was actually an outspoken advocate for racial equality and encouraged King to view Christianity as a potential force for social change. After being accepted at several colleges for his doctoral study, including Yale and Edinburgh and Scotland, King actually enrolled in Boston University. During the work on his doctorate, Martin Luther King Jr. met none other than Coretta Scott, an inspiring singer and musician at the New England Conservatory School in Boston. They were married in June of 1953 and had four children, Yolanda, Martin Luther King III, Dexter Scott, and Bernice. In 1954, while still working on his dissertation, King became the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church of Montgomery, Alabama. He completed his Ph.D. and was awarded his degree in 1955. King was only 25 years old. What is that to aspire to, 25 and earning your doctoral degree? And see, that was only the beginning for Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. See, most times when people begin to hear of Martin Luther King, we start talking about the boycotting and the speeches. But see, it was not until March the 2nd, 1955, that a 15-year-old girl refused to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery City bus in violation of local law. Claudette Colvin was arrested and taken to jail. At first, the local chapter of the NAACP felt they had an excellent test case to challenge Montgomery's segregated bus policy, less credible in the eyes of sympathetic whites. Not too much later, on December the 1st, 1955, they got another chance to make their case. That evening, 42-year-old Rosa Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus to go home from an exhausting day at work. She sat in the first row of the colored section in the middle of the bus. As the bus traveled throughout all the seats, it, the white section filled up. Then several more white passengers boarded the bus. The bus driver noticed that there were several white men standing and demanded that Parks and several other African Americans give up their seats. Three other African American passengers reluctantly gave up their places, but Parks remained seated. The driver asked her again to give up her seat, and again she refused. Parks was arrested and booked for violating the Montgomery City Code. At her trial a week later, in a 30-minute hearing, Parks was found guilty and fined $10 and assessed a $4 court fee. Now, these two stories are very pivotal, and I feel the need to kind of elaborate on these two. Why? Because so many times, as you see African Americans on the bus, they rush to get to the back of the bus. 
when individuals such as Rosa Parks and Claudette Colvin fought for the right to be able to sit at the front of the bus. We have to know where we came from to understand where we are and where we're going. So don't rush to the back of the bus. That's not what was fought for you. It was fought to get to the front of the bus. No, that's just a segue into the things that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were involved in, all the way from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. In February of 1960, a group of African-American students began what became known as the sit-in movement in Greensboro, North Carolina. The students would sit at racially segregated lunch counters in the city stores. When asked to leave or sit in the colored section, they just remained seated, subjecting themselves to verbal and sometimes physical abuse. See, this movement quickly gained traction in several cities. In April of 1960, the SCLC held a conference at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, with local sit-in leaders. Martin Luther King Jr. at that time encouraged students to continue to use nonviolent methods during the protest. Out of this meeting, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee formed and for a time worked closely with the SCLC. By August of 1960, the sit-ins had been successful in ending segregation at lunch counters in 27 southern cities. Every move that we make does not have to be violent. To show our dislike, our disappointment, and disdain does not have to move in violence. There are so many practices that Martin Luther King Jr. implemented in his day that we should indeed be able to restore in this day. I feel it very important that poet acknowledges Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and celebrate him. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Although when we look on the news and we look out on the world, it may not be peaches and cream. It may not be the rainbows and sunny days. But we must never lose that infinite hope, a very monumental quote made by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So, William, when you are able to look on the news, follow social media, and see the plagues and also the advancement that has occurred with African Americans today, when you hear that quote, how does that make you feel? You know, when to ask me that, you know, I, I to be honest, you know, it I get mad. Um I look at I try to look at both aspects of the situation. Um but regardless of the fact, you know, I can't overlook that, you know, every time I look on the news it's a, a young black man getting killed or a young black sister getting killed or you know, now it's it's it's, it's kids that's being shown. And um Man, to kind of elaborate on one of the questions you asked me earlier, too. Um, when I think about the slavery time and, you know, what my people been through, I get mad about it. I don't get mad about the situation. I get, I got, I get mad more like because I'm not there. I, you know, it wasn't nothing I could do about it. And I guess, you know, looking at it, what if that was me? You know, I put, I kind of put myself in that position. If that was me back then, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think I could have stand there and watch my people get whipped or, or beat. So, you know, to say, you know, what Malcolm, you know, what Martin Luther King did, you know, it, it was amazing because he stood his ground with saying, you know, not to fight, but everybody don't have that mindset like Malcolm X. And uh, I hate that when you watch the news and stuff like that, they make it seem like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King had so many different points, you know, different, you know, statements about each other, but they didn't realize that it was more statements that came together for him. It's just that one that Malcolm X said, you know, fight fire with fire. So, you know, I, I hate looking at the news, but I try to keep up with it. And in this day and age, we absolutely have to. 
One thing that I wanted to do very quickly is I wanted to segue into a piece, and I did want to give one of our promising, motivational, encouraging, uplifting members of POET organization the moment to come in as we celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I feel it's very important that we dig down and we dissect our dreams. So without further ado, everyone, you are tuned in to Court Organization Radio, Inspirational Soul Expressions. I'm your host, Mahogany Brown, linked with my counterparts, Mr. Soul Williams. And the title of this piece is Dream Directed. Dream Directed. Rain camouflage tears as I attempt to emancipate my fears, evicting the possibility of failure, breathless looking for my inhaler, replaying the days of my life, ensuring never to leave out the strife, for it is in my pain, sorrow, and disappointment I want to create your ointment, but there is life within the stroke of my pen. See, it is through my pen I intend to mend, it is in my poetic stance I extend a friend. Long beyond the day, the flow of blood stops in my veins. Lessons and truths my many needs will gain, but my life shall become infinite. It is through reading my works you will find my heart's sentiment. See, my mission has always been simple, to make a difference in each life I touch, if even through just my smile's dimple. Page and pages of my life I have collected, my joys, letdowns, and lessons dissected. But you see, my dream goes beyond mine own eyes. On the forefront, my manuscript to bookshelves and e-reader, they will rise to inspire, to educate, to elevate, to relate. These are yet a few of the goals that my pen shall attain. But see, my reach goes further. I want to reach you over the airwaves. See, I want that musical background to bring forth all the saves. Got to put this work on compact disc. See, I'm willing to take that risk, bearing the naked truth of my soul. And if you're out on the stroll looking to get your next fix, I aspire to create that venue starting from a row of bricks, a book, a compact disc, a venue. Pin stroke by pin stroke, stanza by stanza. Brick by brick, and I'm going to tell you just how I'm going to get there. Dictate my goals. Speak it into existence. Reevaluate my current situation and see a way out. Emancipate fear and the possibility of failure. Affiliate myself with only those of positive and supportive energy. Meditate to make sure my next move is my best move yet. With every breath of me, my dream is right on schedule to be my directed reality. And that is that piece, everyone. We're going to go ahead and bring in the dear brother that I introduced, very special to my heart, has always been extremely supportive of the POET organization, as well as inspirational soul expressions, enigmatic soul expressions. It's absolutely amazing. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the show, brother. Oh, how is it going today? I'm doing good. This night, how you feeling? I I am doing well. You know, I've been dealing with some medical things, but I, I'm back in route. You know, for God be the glory. It's definitely a blessing to be here, and a blessing to have you here as well. So you are consistent with so many testimonies and medical miracles that God has performed in your life. So glad to have you on the other end of that mic. Thank you. Absolutely. So as we celebrate today the birth of a wonderful king, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and the freedom that he fought for for so many years, today on this evening, would you like to celebrate and being able to share a pen of your dream? Because I know so many of your dreams have already come true, and you're continuing to live that dream and being an inspiration to so many, Brother O. Right. Yeah, I agree with the sentiments there. Uh, you know, Absolutely. it it was a it was it's a privilege to learn about Dr. King what he stood for, and you know he he tried to make life better for all of us. And uh, right now, 
Right now, if you were here today, you would greatly, you greatly disappointed. Not known people, you would be greatly concerned about Donald Trump going in to the White House. And uh, everything you work for, you work for could be all in vain if we don't set up the fight for our rights because rights are demanding, not given. So it's time for us to stand up and put our words to action. And now is the time to do that. I absolutely agree, brother. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about is I kind of spoke to and hinted to a little previously in the show, in the broadcast this evening. A lot of times when you see pictures of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I see it paired a lot with Barack Obama, saying that Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream and that Barack Obama was that dream coming into reality. What are your feelings when you see images of that nature? Oh, I see it as uh, Dr. King planted the seed and then it flourished when Obama was elected. uh, I believe so as well, because I believe we've come so far. Don't don't get me wrong, brother. We've come very far, but like you said, we have a long way to go. And the concerns that you have as a citizen, by all means, with the president-elect, um, that we are venturing into, a lot of people are concerned. A lot of people are worried, whether it be in reference to the obvious hate. Um, and a lot of people say it's not about race. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I get tired of hearing that because in all actuality, it is a presence of race. And don't get me wrong, I live in the state of Alabama. Um, racism is a lot and will in Alabama, but it's a difference now. Um, I can speak for myself walking in Huntsville, Alabama, where racism before, it was hidden, whereas now it's no disregard. It's no regard for your feelings or concerns. It is out there blatantly and obvious. And at this point, Barack Obama is still our president, you know. Donald Trump is president-elect, but even before he gets into office, the things that we're already seeing the dismantling of everything that Barack Obama has built um, as far as from a government standpoint. He's always wanting to fire um, everyone um, that worked with Barack Obama. However, our dream and that hope that, yes, I can, I I believe Barack Obama was onto something because to be able to have my children be able to see the face of a black man as president of the United States in their day, speaks volumes. It lets them know that the world is possible, that there cannot be a limit on their dreams, that they can dream beyond anyone's wildest imagination as long as they're willing to put the effort forth. And what I loved about Barack Obama, because he did everything as well as Michelle, they did everything in grace. And I believe that is something that Martin Luther King Jr. would absolutely be proud of because he was graceful in everything that he did. Although there was a divine difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King as far as the violent versus the nonviolent approach, they were both aiming for the same thing, for freedom, for all. But the fact of the grace, the eloquency that was presented within the election, within his presidency, within his eight-year term, I believe Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would be extremely proud to say that this is what he has prepared and paved the road for Barack Obama. I pray and hope that Barack Obama will not be the last African-American president that I see in my day, but definitely thankful that I had the opportunity to see him in this day. Now, as we speak to the elections, as we speak to the presidency, a quote stands out to me, um, Brother O, and it's one that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. presented. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So as you begin to speak to things that we need to do, becoming more involved, we realize that a lot of hate is being skewed everywhere. But the only thing that can drive that out is love. We must begin this challenge to love one another. No matter the race, no matter the creed, no matter the religion, 
We just have to have that spirit of love again. Because if we don't, we will allow hate to consume us. And then I truly feel not just for us within the presidency, but for our nation as a whole, if we continue to let the hate continuously divide us. And, and Tyrone, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of chime in as well. I don't want you to feel like you're there on the background is there, um, but definitely when it's a dialogue as we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, as we speak to his dream being seen with Barack Obama serving his presidency, and how you feel even, Tyrone, as we're preparing for president-elect to come in and lead our country. Man, uh, it was an honor to, you know, to, to, to watch um, Barack Obama do his thing. Um, he changed a lot. He touched a lot of people's lives. He changed a lot of people's thoughts, you know, and, you know, in a lot of aspects. Uh, as far as Trump, <laughs> man, we in a, we in for a rude awakening. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm thinking that it's not even going to last that long because you know, out of all that's going on, or you know, all that he been through, you know, all that he did, you know, you know, to have a a president with so much in his, you know, skeletons in his closet, man, that's 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 an embarrassment. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just waiting to see what that, what, what's going to actually happen. There's either two things going to happen: he's going to get in the chair, and they're going to let him stay no matter what, or you know, our community going to pull together, man, do what we need to do to, you know, actually look out for each other. But uh, in the long run, you know, we have to stand for one another anyway. Right. Now, what I think is an amazing thing is when men are coming out in droves as we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We do have another gentleman on the line, another one of my POET brothers that I have come to love, respect, and admire um, by all means, not only because of his wonderful, beautiful harmonies, but also because of the man and intellect and the willingness to help, which is what POET stands for. We're going to go ahead and bring in Larry D. Edwards. A lot of times he's at work. So I do want to give him the opportunity to come in and be a part of this dialogue as well. Greetings and salutations, Larry. Welcome to the show. How's it going, my brother? How you doing, sister? Can you hear me? I can hear you just well. Yeah, I had to um, call um, greetings to Brother O, uh, my other brother, um, you, all the POET family. Uh, um, back on, um, you know, it's been a minute. But I want to give my little feel, and I wanted to do a tribute, if that was okay, to Dr. King. And, Absolutely. Uh, That's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, this is, um, before I start the piece, I just want to say that I, I think that we as African Americans need to get our stuff together. Because I really think that Dr. King would probably turn and do a backflip in his grave knowing that the state that we're in. Um, we're not together. We can talk about Donald Trump and how much of an uh, impact he's going to have and how hard it's going to be. It's going to be hard because we, not just African Americans, we as a people make life hard itself. We don't stand up and we don't fight for things. This is like when everybody was excited uh, when Obama won and jumping on top of buses and crying. Where was that same fight when it comes to going to city council meetings to protest uh, slumlords and uh, school, schools not giving proper education and job training programs and minimum wages? It's, it's just like people need to stop. We're the only race of people that I know that keep saying that we need leaders. I don't hear this from other races. No disrespect. You know, I, why, how can I put this? Everybody needs to lead their damn self, basically. Because in order to be a leader, to me, you have to know how to lead yourself. And you have to be an example. You know, you have to be an example. You can't just look for uh, everybody to speak for you. But with that being said, I, I just think that it's, it's some work on our end. It, it doesn't matter who's in office. It's just the fight is within us, you know, to stand up. So. <clears throat> I'm going to um, do this uh, for Dr. King a little medley, and I'm sure you remember this. 
And if you feel like you're enigmatic, you can sing along if you want to. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to make you hang up. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here we go. I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time coming, and I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. I've been too living, but I'm afraid to die. Because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. It's been a long a long time coming, and I know a change gonna come. I said a change is gonna come. That's my spell. And that is that spell. Laurie D. Edwards, you are always absolutely amazing, um, not only for the dialogue and the feedback that you provide on the topic as we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., but also putting up that challenge because that's what a lot of people need to hear, you know, and it, it gets easy to say, you know, it's all at the hands of leadership, but we as a people must begin to take those appropriate steps because we seen the same passion that you speak of is when Barack Obama became president is the same passion that we put in for police brutality when it occurs, but it has to be an ongoing 365 type of thing. I'm we must be, be a part. I'm going to be honest. I didn't mean to cut you off, but if I shared, like, some of my views on certain things, I don't think I'd be a light guy. Because I'm a realist. A lot of the situations that we're going through as African-Americans and minority people is a lot of our own fault because we don't stand up. We don't educate ourselves, not all of us now, because there are some that are educating and, and like yourself, my brothers on the line, myself, Black Ice, the movement. There are people doing things in the community, but it's just not enough. Like police brutality is, is interesting. You say this, but... Oh, God, forgive me for saying this. Those cops that killed uh, Freddie Gray, uh, what is the Mike, uh, who's the guy's name in New York? Kind of heavy set guy. Uh, Michael, uh, I forgot his name. Um, they, they put him in a chokehold. Um, it's just so, 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 many, so, many, so many deaths. And these cops are still working and living. Mm-hmm. And I'm not advocating violence. Just hear me, hear me off for a second. I'm not saying that we have to be vigilante, but it's just amazing how these people are walking around and they're not held accountable by these so-called, you know, we got all these gang organizations and gang affiliations and uh, everybody crip walking and doing all this other stuff, but when it gets real, where are they? And I'm not advocating violence. It's just that everybody want to act tough and hard when it comes to, you know, some neighborhood stuff. But when it comes to really representing and standing up, you know, for us and justice, it's like we get quiet. You know, another problem we have as black folks that bothers me is we're always talking about where we're from. I don't hear a white boy talking about I'm, I'm from uh, Idaho where they grow them potatoes at. Or I'm from Oklahoma <laughs> where them, 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 them coyotes. We always got a rep. Oh, I'm from New York. I'm from Chicago. I'm from D.C. I'm from fuck. Oh, oh. I didn't, today is Sunday. Forget where you're from. 
You don't own none. We don't own none of this territory. We, so why are you repping anything that you don't even own? I never hear people say, you know, I'm from Nebraska, you know, where the corn huskers are wild and out. It's like we we take so much pride in where we're from, and we let that divide us as to how we treat each other. Oh, well, they're not from this town, so we're not going to support them. That is the most dumbest stuff I've ever heard. I don't mean to go on the soapbox, but, you know, I'm going to stop. Well, but you but know what? Honestly, issues. though, you you bring together valid points. Though I'm mean, just just keeping it all the way real. Um, in 100, you know, um, unfortunately, it, it is a plight that many complain about, fuss about, and things of that nature. But when we really get down to it, it goes beyond us as a nation, us as a people, joining together and wanting to fight when the person that we wanted to be in office is not there, or when there is quote-unquote police brutality that is occurring. And then a lot of times when the police brutality is happening, a lot of the pushback that we get is we're on the Black Lives Matter trip. But at the end of the day, black lives do matter. And to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., our lives did matter. And at the end of the day, if we could really internalize his quote, if we could live his quote, we'd be okay. Because it's a matter of bringing that love. Because, unfortunately, what has been created, whether it be black on black, blue on black, white on black, however you want to look at it, it's because of the absence and void of love, which, unfortunately, leaves the opposite, being hate and anger and frustration. You know what else is interesting? Um, To me, we are still in the... We shall overcome stage and having a million watch stage. And we haven't passed the point of taking action, like packing down these courthouses and saying, listen, you didn't make the right decision when it came to this brutality case, and we're not going to leave until we get answers. We come in a thousand strong. We we marching. We protesting. We want to know why this happened. And we're going to take some action legally. They can do this. People can do this, but they choose not to. And as far as Black Lives Matter, my issue with that is this. At the end of the day, all life matters. But here's the problem. My life shouldn't be more significant or insignificant because I'm black. I have a life. And we need to get out of that stage of feeling like we're left there. Like when I, get, when I got employed uh, to work at one of the uh, – Top, it was a big white news radio station in the state of Virginia as a radio producer. They had a reputation for not hiring black. So when people would ask me, man, how'd you get that? That's, that's significant. I don't think it's significant because my thing is my resume and my work ethic speaks for itself. I can hold my own with any white boy in any corporation in any field because I'm that skilled, and I'm not going to use my color as a downside, I don't think it's significant for us to do anything because, truth be told, we're the mothers and fathers of civilization. So we don't need to be the first to do anything because we are just as competitive, we are just as skilled, we are just as intelligent as any other race, and we need to stop thinking that uh, we're not or it's such significance uh, if you're the first black person to eat a chocolate chip cookie. Good for you. But that doesn't mean that, to me, it just means that we're demeaning ourselves like we're not capable of doing these things. We are. We just need to force our way in and create our own. We don't have anything to prove to anyone. We always think we have something to prove. I love the skin I'm in. I'm not oppressed because God created me in his image. And I'm not going to walk around feeling like, I'm less than because I'm African-American, or I'm less than because I'm a male. I'm God's property. I'm a human being, and I have rights of a human being. And when African-Americans stand up and realize that and mobilize, we'll get places. But until then, we still going to think oppressed. And you know what, honestly, Lady, and, and also Brother Owen, so if you all want to chime in at any point, please feel free to do so. But I believe a lot of the stagnance that you speak of, the mm-hmm. not stepping up, 
the not doing what it takes, is, it's all of nature of fear. It is the fear of the inevitable, fear of what could possibly happen. And, and so if we kind of tie that in with Dr. Martin Luther King, he made a powerful statement. Because sometimes we may not see it all. Sometimes we may not understand it all even. But faith is taking that first step, even when you don't see the entire staircase. And I believe that statement to be true in so many capacities. Because a lot of people fall back on their dreams. They fall back and do not do the things that they are meant to do. They, they don't explore their purpose, all mm-hmm. as a result of fear. Not knowing maybe, and I'm going I'm to make it a little more real for some people. You may not know how you're going to pay rent next month, but you know you're at a job that's not getting you anywhere. And you know that's not where you're supposed to be. You know that your purpose drives you to be elsewhere. I assure you to stand out on his face. Now, no child, get off the phone and quit your job because my husband said to quit your job. But <laughs> when you are following the steps of God in which he has prepared and paid for you, he will make a way out of no way. When you think it's impossible, there will be a way made. And I assure you, there are people, individuals that are living their dreams. And I, Steve Harvey's getting a lot of flack right now. He is about meeting with what's Donald Trump. About, what's that about? I've been hearing about it. I just didn't care to read it just yet. But I heard he's gotten a lot of flack from meeting with Trump. And I'm not educated enough on exactly what happened, so I don't want to speak on it. But what's the big deal? So what's been happening, the gist of it is Donald Trump has been meeting with celebrities, um, per se, in order to understand the black relations in black America. However, a lot of people are, number one, upset, saying, hey, you need to meet with the people that are actually living in these cities, that are actually making the changes, that actually know what needs to be done. That's one aspect of it. Then a lot of people are angry, saying, Steve Harvey, you sold out. How can you go and meet with Donald Trump and say that you understand anything that he presents? Okay, and everyone is entitled to their own political opinion agenda um, by all means. But my my perspective in, in talking about Steve Harvey, because he actually comes on the morning show here every morning here in Huntsville, Alabama, but he spoke to something so well. He speaks to, you know, he was very young. Steve Harvey ain't always been rich. <laughs> Steve Harvey was very young, had a child coming into the world, was tired of his job, went to a comedy club, had about 20-some dollars, and he tells this story all the time, if I can remember it, but came to the club, about 20-some dollars, and had a ball. And the next day he quit his job. And so many people turned to Steve Harvey. People called into the show, asked, well, Steve, what should I do? And granted, Steve has some very valuable recommendations and suggestions, but if we were truly honest with ourselves, Steve is going to guide you to where you need to go and being the father, the heavenly father, if you do believe um, for those believers that are on the line. But you have to dig deep down and tap into your passion. You have to take that step. And he did it. And if Steve Harvey can do it, why can't you? You know, Oprah Winfrey, she did not come from a rich family. But every time you see Oprah on the Oprah Winfrey show, it was Oprah Day because she was giving away everything. But Oprah's passion and desire and purpose was to be able to reach the masses. So we That's have to do that as a people. That's interesting that you say that because I, I, I don't have the whole show, but just to give you a little spill, I've been doing music for a long time. I almost got signed to a major record deal uh, some years ago. And I was a little depressed about it, but I never stopped because it's a passion. And I've had people here and there that say things, people that know. See, this is the problem with black, some black folks. And I say some because I don't want to sound stereotypical. We have this jealous bug or we don't support each other or somebody has big aspirations and we try to hate on their dream or, or you're getting too old to be doing it. Well, Steve Harvey, I know he won the spring chicken when he started to get into comedy, to be honest with you. And neither was um what's the guy named Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman uh-huh. they made the joke they made the joke Morgan Freeman was old when I was born. Morgan Freeman didn't really start in an acting um, gig until he was 35 years old. You know, and see, what a lot of people don't understand is we have this, 
figment in our community that we try to oppress other people that have big aspirations and then, well, oh, they got lucky. No, there's no such thing as always luck all the time. Some people had to work their you-know-what's off to get to where they are. You don't know what sacrifices. I've made some huge sacrifices. I can say that I've been blessed to perform at most of the major markets and most of the major cities. I'm going to Atlanta soon. I've opened up for people like Jaguar Wright. I've opened up for the Delphonics Review. I've done some things, and I continue to do it because I love what I do, and I'm changing lives, I think. And I'm not going to let anybody dictate to me what I should do with the rest of my life because they don't want to do anything with theirs. And a lot of that happens. And a lot of people are very lazy. You know, they talk about Steve Harvey, but I can tell you one thing. Um, A lot of people don't know this. James Brown had a meeting with the Republican Party. Um, But, oh, anybody that's a historian, you know, can chime in if they want. He met with the Republican Party, and one of the guys, I don't know, he was a staunch Republican, had told James Brown, hey, listen, these people in power don't like people like you trying to creep in. Everybody thought that James Brown was selling out because he was meeting with the Republicans. Now, I'm not standing up for Steve Harvey because I still don't know exactly what the deal was. But it was being said that James Brown was trying to align, you know, trying to, you know, join some type of force to help the community. And he was like, sometimes you have to do business with people on the other side to get things done. I'm not excusing that. And if you notice, ever since James Brown had did that, most of his fans abandoned him, you know. And this was the godfather of soul. This man was going into the community, singing to ghettos and and, and doing things. And some people label him a sellout. (laughs) So... People, people need to do their research before they comment and really know the base. Like I said, I won't comment on it because I want to get more educated about it. What, and even if he did meet with Trump for whatever reason, you don't know what was discussed, so why are you jumping to accusations just yet? And you and know it, what, Larry D., <laughs> on that topic, as far as, like you said, no one was there. We do not know the conversation that took place. But I know that Steve Harvey definitely had to make an individual choice when he decided to have that interaction meeting. And it, it comes together even with Martin Luther King. When I tell you, his quotes have so many powerful lessons. Because I recall there being one who said, there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must take it because his conscience tells him that it is right. So we don't know what was going on in Steve Harvey's mind. We don't know what goals, um, what intentions that he had, but it sounds like it was that time. It it come for Steve Harvey. And honestly, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience. So I assure you when Steve Harvey stood with Donald Trump, it was not of comfort or convenience, but it's where he stands at the time of challenge and controversy. So we have to continue to follow up on that story because – Steve Harvey may be putting some things within Donald Trump that we're not even aware of, things that we may see change, the fruition of what many are fearful of if January 21st quickly comes upon us. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. And like I said, people are so quick to speculate. And, you know, before I'm, I'm a firm believer in, number one, if he does choose to allow with Trump on anything, that is his personal choice. That is his God-given right. We don't necessarily have to like it, but at the end of the day, you know, people should have the free will to do what it is that they think is best for them. And I think as a society, we get way too opinionated. Um, and I have some views that maybe are not too conservative but not too liberal either. Like, for example, I think that households, should have the right to bear arms to protect themselves. I mean, you have a lot of crime in a lot of cities. And if you have a family that you're trying to work and support, you don't want to go home and have to worry about some family trying to break in and take everything that you've worked for, that you've went out and and, and, and hustled and doing these things. And, and, And you shouldn't have to be bothered with that. I'm a firm believer in that. But 
that's, you know, neither here nor there. It's just the thing of we have gotten so opinionated that we feel like if people take different stances against us, you know, oh, they're wrong. Oh, they're a sellout. Who are you to call someone a sellout when you really don't know what was discussed? That's the thing. I mean, you can have an opinion, but know the full facts of the situation before you have an opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, like I said, always, Larry D., you bring together valid questions that people must begin to look in the mirror and ask themselves. It pushes them to not only have an opinion, because like I said, it's okay to have an opinion, but also in that same token to be able to do the appropriate research to be able to formulate that opinion. And one thing that stands out, and I'm going to give everybody an opportunity for their closing thoughts for tonight, but what I want to close on is because it is a matter of hope. It is all a matter of what we're doing. It's about those actions, not just those verbal statements that we make. And as we as a people are frustrated, we're angered with the current events that are unraveling right before our very eyes, as we want to take stands on if someone's a sellout or not, if we're the ones that are not pushing for our dreams, if we're the dream catchers, or if we're the ones that's sitting back on the sidelines watching others catch their dreams, we have to remember a very important statement that Dr. Martin Luther King has made, and it's carried me throughout the years. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Let me say that again for those that may have not caught that, because as we're worried about the elections, as we're worried about everything, but we're just talking, we're mouth-working, we have to put our works into it. We have to go within that passion. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. And that silence that Dr. Martin Luther King speaks of is not just silence in your voice, but silence in your work. So Williams, Larry D. Edwards, as well as Brother O, the gents of the show, um, kicking it with their girl, Mahogany Brown, tonight. I want to give you all the opportunity for your closing thoughts as we celebrate the life, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Well, I, you know, I always enjoy, you know, talking about uh, our relationship. So, Williams, so, Williams, yeah, you're, yeah, you're fading out. I don't know what you did, but you're fading out here. Right, can you hear me now? I can hear you. All right. I say it's always a pleasure, you know, um, to work, you know, researching on Martin Luther King and talking about him because, you know, it's, it's a dream that, you know, we live in. We we should live it, you know, to the best because he paved a lot of roads for us, you know. Um, so, you know, with the things that's going on in the world, you know, I encourage everybody, you know, kind of like look out for your brother and your sister, not the way in sense of money or cash, but you know, emotional and, and mentally, because we we got a lot, you know, a lot to look look forward to. We got a lot coming, you know. Um, you know, and our faith is what's going to carry us through this. Thank you so very much, Mr. Soul Williams. And Brother O, did you have any final remarks as we close out this tribute and celebration and awareness to what's going on in today's society? I close with Joshua. So now is the time to put our words into action. You know, you, I mean, words mean something, but until, uh, until you start acting on them, they won't mean a thing. What we need to do as a people is to put aside differences and come together and unite to to defeat, to come against this hatred, come against this, uh, this upcoming administration, 
Let our voices be heard. Well, marching is cool. You need to be writing your representatives. You have to demand things. And you have to stand up for our rights now. Because because that we're gonna be in for a rough ride. If we just stand by and do nothing. Everything that the team fought for will be all away. Those are my closing comments. Thank you so very much, Brother O. And Mr. Larry D. Edwards, we know <laughs> that there was a change that was brought. And I, I want you to have your final thoughts by all means. I mean, I do want to give you that opportunity, but before um, you start into that, I did want to make a special request because at the end of the day, we have to have hope. We have to have faith and know that there's going to be a change coming. So after your final remarks, if you will take us out with a change, is going to come. And once again, everyone, this will be the last time that you're hearing Mahogany Brown's voice. Laurie D. Edwards will end us oh. out tonight. So I wish everyone a good night, a wonderful week, and making sure that we're putting action behind our words. Laurie D. Edwards, you will be taking us out. Well, I'm going to quickly say this. Um, we, uh, Martin Luther King, we need to keep his dream alive. However, we need to study our history as well because there were people before Dr. King nasty to discredit him at all. This should move us to study history. We need to study that there was a man named uh, Vernon Johns that brought Dr. King to the forefront, and he was very, uh, very uh, radical. Uh, Nat Turner, you know, um, Ramsey's the Great, Hannibal that conquered Rome. If we study our history and know that we come from a rich history, that we didn't just come from slaves. That's not only keeping his dream alive, that's re-educating and reawakening ourselves, you know? So with that being said, here we go. <clears throat> I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, I like the river. I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time coming, and I know a change will come. Oh, yes, it will. I've been too. But I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming And I know a change will come. Oh, a change will come.